Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. October 27, 1988. <clears throat> that morning, I was on Galveston Bay with my brother Bob, my friend Ray, and my brother Bob's eight-year-old daughter. We were in a 36-foot hunter sailboat sailing out of Seabrook going down to Galveston. The plan was we'd sail down to Galveston, and then the next day we'd sail out in the Gulf of Mexico. And so that was the plan for the day. Now, Galveston Bay, uh, combined with Trinity Bay, is about 32 miles from top to bottom, about 23 miles wide, and surprisingly, six to eight feet deep. Now, that becomes a problem when you're sailing a 36-foot hunter sailboat because a hunter sailboat requires five feet of water underneath it. It has a five-foot keel. And so you have to be constantly concerned about the depth of water underneath you. Now, the plan for that day, it's a beautiful day, perfect weather. We're sailing two broad tacks out of Seabrook going down to Galveston because a sailboat, the winds were out of the south. Sailboat can't sail straight into the wind. So you're sailing at 60 degrees into the wind. And that was the plan. I think I've got a map so you can kind of get an idea of what we were doing. Okay. And so what that meant was we were heading south. Now, the problem was right off of this, uh, this land feature called Eagle Point, there was a shoal called the Eagle Point Shoal. And that shoal was only two to three feet deep. And so you had to be very cautious of that. As we're coming south, to my right, we were going to pass very close to Eagle Shoal. So the guy with me, Ray, who had the charts and he was the navigator, I was at the wheel. Bob was laying on the deck. Uh, Ray was down below making some sandwiches. And Ray said, keep it very close to the wind because we got to be sure we stay uh, to the right, to the left of Eagle Shoal. And so I'm like, Got it. Ah, Captain. And I've got the wheel. Now, when you're sailing a sailboat into the wind, the sails are lined up straight down the boat. They're very tight. They're very hard. And it sort of pinches the boat through the water like you would pinch a watermelon seed. The wind on the sail versus the water on the keel sort of forces it forward into the wind. Okay, you with me? Now, if you turn that boat slightly off of the wind and let the wind come across the boat, because the sails are so hard and tight, the boat will, will heal very hard. And it, it's very tippy, and it's kind of scary. Well, Ray's making sandwiches down below. I'm at the wheel. I'm kind of bored. My heading was 190 toward Texas City. And I thought to myself, let's have some fun with Ray. And so I brought it off of the wind, brought the wind across the boat, and we bounced over. And I could hear pots and pans and Ray, and he said something. I don't, it might have contained some four-letter words. I don't know. But that made it even more fun for me. So I did it again, and then I did it again. And I'd completely forgotten about that instruction to stay well to the left. So each time I did it, I was nosing the boat to the right. And each time I was getting just a little bit closer to the shoal off Eagle Point. And that's when it happened. And I'm not admitting to anything. If there's an investigation, we've not had this conversation. But I may or may not have been responsible for grounding that 36-foot hunter sailboat under full sail and under about a 15-knot wind on Galveston Bay. And when we hit that shoal, it was like running into a, a brick wall at about 10 miles an hour. Doesn't sound real bad unless you're in the car. 
That wheel was real big. It was about like this. And I hit the wheel. My brother almost fell into the bay. He grabbed the rail at the last minute. Jenny went tumbling into the, in the cockpit. And Ray went all the way from the, from the middle of the boat all the way to the front of the boat down below. And everybody's like on full-blown emergency because I just got a, or maybe not me, somehow we got stuck in Galveston Bay. And we're in the middle of the bay. It's eight feet across. From where we are, it's about 23 uh, miles, I mean, eight miles across, about 23 miles up, about uh, 10 miles down to Galveston. That's where we are, right in the middle of the bay. And uh, Ray jumps up. He turns on the motor because those big sailboats all have an inboard diesel motor. Turns on the motor, throws it into reverse, and tries to back us off the shoal, but we're not moving. So I raced to the front of the boat, and I jumped in the water in the front of the boat and was going to push the boat while Ray's backing it up. And when I jumped into that bay, it was this weirdest, creepy feeling. I was in water this deep in a bay that was so far across from the north and the south and the east, you couldn't see the shoreline. In fact, here's a picture. I brought one so you can see what it looks like. You're standing in a body of water that essentially runs from Bastrop to Richwood and from West Monroe to Ravel. And you're standing in the middle of it and you're two and a half feet deep. You're right here, 30 inches. And, and you're starting to wonder, where am I and what's underneath me? Because there's sharks and everything. You're in the ocean. It was one of the creepiest feelings I've ever had in my entire life, standing there in the middle of that bay. And I still remember that strange feeling of being 30 inches deep in water that's 30 miles across. And you know that roughly equates to that old expression, a mile wide and an inch deep. But I've got to tell you, after that day, I had a whole new understanding and appreciation for that expression, a mile wide and an inch deep. Because that, that breadth of that water leads you to this mistaken assumption that you're safe when in fact you're never quite safe because there's never quite enough water underneath you. And you just can't trust water that's a mile wide and an inch deep. I know from experience that's true. And so when I think about spiritual maturity, I think about myself and I go, you know what? I don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And when I think about the church, I don't want the church to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And yet I have to say, there are many Christians who have this really wide footprint, but this terribly shallow faith. What went wrong? They never matured. The church failed to disciple them. We're talking about foundations. Our text is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Let's go there. The Great Commission. These are some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. Um, uh, it's a companion verse passage to what he would later say uh, to them in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, but this is the Great Commission. That Acts 1 8 might be called the Last Commission, but these are among the last things he said. And, and by virtue of that, some of the most important. And so here's what he told his disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We've been looking at foundations derived from this very important text because 
in this post-COVID world, it's almost that we're at a, a, a restart. We can't go back to 2019. All we have is 2022 and ahead. What are we going to be about? What are our priorities and values going to be shaped by? And the answer is this. These are our foundations. The first week, we looked at the message. We're committed to the message, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And we extrapolate from that the idea. He's talking about the whole of the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation. He's talking about all the revelation of God that he has given to us. And that becomes our authority. I can't add to it. I can't take away from it. I can only obey it. And so that helps me in, in this world of cultural shifts. And you talk about sandbars of how things are moving and shifting and changing because I have the bedrock truth of Scripture to which I am chained and I am bound. But then it's the mission. We're committed to the mission. He said, go therefore. And remember, that's a participle. It doesn't mean go somewhere else. It means as you're going or while you're going or wherever you go, you carry with you the message of Jesus Christ. But notice this third thing, we are committed to maturity. He said, go and make disciples. And again, that's the only command in this whole verse. And notice he doesn't say make converts. Look, converts are great. We want every person to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want every person to be converted to faith in Christ. I want you to know what it feels like to have your sins forgiven. I long for people to know how, how it feels to be guilt-free and free of shame and the darkness and the, and the addictions and the, the bondage that comes with Jesus said, every man in sins is a slave of sin. And we'd love for you to be free of that, to know the redemption that comes through Christ alone. As you place your faith in him, he forgives your sins, your past is forgotten, and heaven becomes your future home. And man, I love that. I want everybody to know that. But we can't stop there. That's where a lot of churches stop. It's just about conversions. Look how many people we baptized. Look how many people came to Jesus and all that. And it's like, well, okay, but what did you do with those people after that? When we first moved to Louisiana and got one of these big rains, you see, coming from Texas, it rains, but it doesn't really rain. I mean, it rains in Louisiana. And half the backyard gets flooded. At one point, you could take a canoe from my backyard to my front yard, you know. And after that all kind of begins to dry out, the boys found a big clusters of these frog eggs in some of these shallow ponds. And I, I remember looking at those frog eggs. The boys are trying to, to rescue them because it's drying up, and they're trying to make sure these frog eggs turn into tadpoles and then pollywogs and then ultimately a frog, right? And so they're, they're trying to make sure all that happens and, and nurture and care for it. But I got to thinking, that frog don't care. You know, a frog, they don't care about their babies. They just lay a bunch of eggs and leave. And there's a lot of churches that are like that. They don't really care about their babies. They just want to give birth. And, and so they do, what, frog faith, you know? It's like, I'm going to give birth, and then I hope you make it. We're going to try to give enough birth that some of these are ultimately going to survive the birds and everything else. It's a, that's not the way the Bible describes it. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, look why, that we may present every man, and you can understand that to be generic, every man and woman complete in Christ. That's the objective, right? To bring every person to maturity in Christ. We want you to be complete in Christ. And we haven't done our job if we haven't done that. So let's talk about that. First of all, what is maturity? You know, sometimes I can say a thing and what you hear is a different thing and we don't always 
understand the terms we're talking about. I had a, a lady in our church who had a five-year-old daughter who was in dance class, you know. And so the dance instructor wanted to be real clear with the little girls because there was a big recital coming up. So she called all these little girls together and she said, okay, now, you know, this is very important. It's very serious. I want all of you to act mature. And all those little five-year-old girls are like, oh, nodding their heads. On the drive home, this mama starts to wonder, I wonder if my daughter really knows what she's saying when she says mature. So she said, you know, honey, when the teacher told you to act mature, uh uh-huh. She said, do you know what that word mature means? And she said, "Uh uh-huh. She said, what is mature? And she said, mature is what Papa's cows do in the field. (laughs) She was going to act manure thinking she was acting mature. And I thought about that. I know a whole lot more people who act manure than act mature. We are not after manure. We are after mature. There's plenty of manure in this world. There's not enough maturity in this world. And so here's what maturity is, okay? First of all, let's talk about what it's not. Maturity is not the same as growing old. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're mature. Maturity is not measured by the number of times you ride this ball around the sun. That's not maturity. I'll tell you a second thing maturity is, and this may be of some relief to you, it's not perfection. It's not perfection. Um, You don't have to be perfect to be mature, but you do have to do battle. See, that's the key. I'm never going to attain perfection in this life. It's not going to happen. I know myself too well. I know my limitations. As much as I may want to, I want to walk in perfection. It's not going to occur. Someday when I stand before God, He's going to glorify me. And in that moment, I I do become perfect. But not until that day. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime that's never accomplished in this lifetime. Paul said, this old man is always going to be at battle, and the very thing I hate I do, and that which I would do I don't do. But here's the key difference between the mature person and the immature person. The mature person does battle, and that's the key. Our world today says, stop fighting it. You've got these cravings. You've got these feelings. Just act on those cravings and feelings. You shouldn't have to battle all the time. Just accept yourself as you are. Love yourself as you are. And that's the message of our time. And there are a lot of people who come to faith in Christ and never do battle. And if you never battle that old man, you're never going to grow mature. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul said, I subdue my body and make it my slave so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And these are athletic terms that he's using. He literally says, I buffet my body. I beat myself black and blue. Paul is like the guy in training. He's like Rocky in the Rocky montage. He's beating himself black and blue. He's doing the things he doesn't want to do so he can achieve the things he's always dreamed of. And that self-discipline that he's talking about is very much a part of the battle. You've got to battle it. Look, baby, a baby, a baby gives in to every craving, right? If he's hungry, he screams. He wants to eat. If he wants to go to the bathroom, he just goes to the bathroom. He don't care where he is. He's just going. 
If he wants something, he says, give it to me now. Everything's now, now, now. Those demanding little dictators wake you up in the middle of the night because they want it now, right? But look, a mature person, mature people have all the same cravings. They still battle lust. They still battle pride and greed and anger and materialism and jealousy and envy and all those things we feel. The difference is they battle it. They don't yield to it. They seek to master it. Maturity isn't perfection. Maturity is doing battle. So here's what maturity is. Maturity is wisdom. Now look, I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about wisdom. There's a difference. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is insight. Uh, let me show you something. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Now watch the action verbs here, okay? Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Cry for discernment. Lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, it's like a treasure hunt, and search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the what? The wisdom of God? No, it's the knowledge of God. And you know what that means? Knowledge is work. Knowledge is the treasure hunt. I'm, I'm seeking, I'm, I'm striving, I'm trying to achieve it. But wisdom, on the other hand, is a gift. Look at verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 2. He says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. I'm like, wait a minute. He's searching, inclining, striving, listening, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, God gives wisdom. Because wisdom is a gift, right? From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And knowledge is information, but wisdom is inspiration. You're like, well, if that's true, then why am I doing all this work? James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. So if wisdom is a gift, then why work for information? Because here's how it works. Wisdom is that moment when God turns that information that you have mined out into insight. And wisdom is the ability to bring the truth of God's word to bear on the situations of your life. So I've got to have the information because it's the core, it's the kernel that God uses to create wisdom. When I fill my heart with God's truth, in that moment of need, He turns that, that information I have into inspiration, and in that moment, I understand who God is and what His plan is. And that's maturity. And that's what happens with mature people. Another mark of maturity is serving. Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Look at this. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Here's the Bill Dye translation. By now you should be feeding others, but you're too addicted to the bottle. You're still addicted to milk. The great transition between immaturity and maturity happens when my focus shifts from me to you. Babies only think about themselves. Little kids, they mostly only think about themselves. Teenagers, they think a lot about themselves. It's a pretty selfish time. They become self-absorbed. They think everybody in the world is paying attention to them. They, it's just a part of adolescence. 
I remember one time I went to a baseball game with Rocky and Gary, two kids in my youth group, and we were, we were arriving late and everybody was already in the stands. I think I've told y'all this before, but I start to walk in front of the bleachers to walk up and they both stopped me and they said, what are you doing? Like I was lost my mind. And I'm like, I'm going to sit in the bleachers. And they're like, you can't go that way. Everybody will look at us. And I said, you think everybody at this game that's watching that baseball game is going to suddenly stop what they're doing and look at you? They said, yes, you can't go that way. So that next Wednesday, I asked my youth group, I said, if you walk in front of people at a football game or a baseball game, how many of the people in the bleachers notice you? And every one of the kids said, 100%. Every single person stops watching the game and looks at you. But that's the self-absorption of the adolescent mind. Mature people get the focus off of themselves, and it becomes on the needs of other people, right? And so they serve others. Maturity is fruitful, John 15, verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Mature plants bear fruit. Mature believers bear fruit. Jesus said in John 5, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and that means to live in me, to dwell in me. Uh, if, If you abide in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Mature believers are fruitful, and fruit always meant two things. Fruit referred to the nature of Christ revealed in our character. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit referred to how we bring other people to Jesus. That's the fruit of evangelism. And so I would say this, mature people manifest the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, and mature people manifest the fruit of evangelism through their life, through their witness. Um, so if that's true, and if, if being mature means to be wise and to be unselfish and thoughtful, and others-oriented, and if, if being mature means that, uh, that I'm going to bear fruit, and, and it's not going to be about me, it, it's going to be about how I can better serve you. Here's one of the things mature people do. They'll put their hands in stuff that immature people can't handle. I remember when I was a little kid and I'd watch my mom do the dishes before we had garbage disposals and all that. And all that junk off those dinner plates would wind up in that sink and it would ultimately wind up in that strainer in the bottom of that sink. And I would be sitting there watching her and then she'd stick her hand in that strainer. (laughs) And I remember going, I'll never do that. And I find myself, as I grew older, taking care of children and other things, sticking my hand into stuff that was way worse. That's what mature people do. So how do we grow into maturity? Let me give you three quick things. First, you have to keep learning. A disciple is a learner, and that's the very meaning of the word. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for you. So you have to spend time in the word. There's no other way. There's no substitute. And you have to build it into your heart. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I may not sin against God. Remember, information isn't the goal, but you've got to fill your heart with information so that God can turn it into insight. And I have to constantly be learning. I have to constantly realize I'm not there yet. There's still stuff I learn. I learn new stuff all the time. And you have to stay teachable. The problem with information is that it creates arrogance, right? Somebody said this, nothing is more dangerous than a guy with one semester of psychology. 
Isn't that true? (laughs) They start quoting Freud to you and all this other stuff, and it's like, who are you? 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge makes us arrogant. Hey, listen, look, I know some people who can quote the Bible frontwards and backwards, but that, that information never got out of their head and into their heart. And, and in all honesty, they're not safe. They're still, they're still a mile wide and an inch deep, and they're not safe because you don't know where you can go with them. It's kind of like a bay, you know? You don't know where you're free to sail. And, and it can be that way with people who are just so full of knowledge. And, and so you have to realize you can't become arrogant. You have to stay teachable. Listen to the wisdom of the wise. Proverbs 27, 17, we say it all the time. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we grow sharp by rubbing steel with people who are wiser than ourselves. And that comes from a couple of areas. It comes from leadership. Wisdom comes from wise leadership. God places people in positions of leadership within the body to help us grow in maturity. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now look at this, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints so that you're equipped for the work of service so that you know how to serve to the building up both in in terms of of spiritual integrity and of helping them to understand uh, how their motivation works until we all attain, here it is, the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, watch this, to a mature man, to the measure of the status which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's why I'm here. Hopefully there's wisdom coming from me that helps you to grow wiser. And that's our calling. That's what we're trying to do every week and, every, and, and all the other guys that are called to this. But wisdom also comes from wise relationships. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise. You know, if you want to be a, a, a moron, hang out with morons. Um, if you want to be an idiot, hang out with idiots. Um, you become like the most important people in your life. You walk with wise, you know, you know what they're going to do? They're going to make wise decisions. They're going to give wise counsel. And sometimes they're going to give wise correction. But you got to be willing to be teachable. You got to say, hey, look, I didn't get that. I hear it. I'm, man, some of, some of the hardest things to receive is constructive criticism. But you have to stay teachable. And then you have to keep growing. We never arrive. Philippians 3.12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. You know who's writing this? These are Paul's words. You know what he just said? I'm not there yet. Look, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He's saying, I'm still growing. I haven't arrived. And let me, let me break the news to you. If Paul hasn't arrived then neither have you, neither have I. And we all have to keep growing because here's the thing. When you stop growing, you die. That's just how life works at every level. The minute you stop growing, you die. 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. And I look around this room and, Some of you are like me. Your outer man is decaying. You look in the mirror and you go, who is that old man? And where did he come from? 
I realized the other day that I'm 18 years from 80. <laughs> you know, that'll rock you. Our outer man is decaying. He said, but look at this. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Every day I'm renewed. Every day I change. You know what I realized? And when you, when you ride the ball around the sun and, and as many times as I have, you begin to realize the only thing you can count on is change. Change is the only constant because your body's changing. You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. Of course, 20 years ago, you weren't the person you think you were. That old guy says, the older I get, the better I was. You wasn't, you wasn't that 20 years ago. You'd think you were. <laughs> but you're not even the same person. Did you know that your whole body is completely renewed every 20 years? Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. I came across it. Almost all the cells, almost all your cells die within a few days to a few years. Depending on where they are in the body, your cells are in constant state of dying and being replaced by new cells. As a result, very few of the cells in your body now are the exact same cells that you had 20 years ago. You change completely every 20 years. Your personality changes too. Daniel Gilbert, a psychology researcher at Harvard, did a study with two colleagues and found that our personalities change as we age. And the surprise was that we change more than we anticipated changing. We think we change physically, but they weren't prepared for the changes in our values and attitudes. Your psychology changes. Uh, what you love, what you enjoy, what you perceive, what you value, those things change. The only thing that doesn't change is change. You know, churches change. You know what they say, researchers say? That a church is completely different every eight years, which means this is the third church I've pastored at North Monroe Baptist Church. This church is as different today as it was eight years ago, 20 years ago, as you can possibly imagine. The answer isn't to resist all this change. You might as well resist the weather. The answer is to keep growing because the process of aging is really a process of cells replicating themselves, right? We all live with an outer man that is decaying and that one day the system breaks down because the cells can't be replaced. And when that happens, we die. Spiritually, the same is true. It's not that I'm hanging on to those old cells, hoping those old cells will hold up for another year. It's that I have to replace every cell in my body every 20 years, and someday that replication process becomes more than my body can do, and, and my number runs out. And the same is true spiritually. You can't sit still. You've got to constantly be growing constantly renewed. That's what Paul was talking about. And if your body stops being renewed, it dies. If your spirit stops being renewed, it dies. And if a church stops being renewed, it dies. Nothing stays the same except God. He's the constant. And he's always doing a fresh work. Look at Lamentation 3.22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. Here's the part I love. They're new every morning. Every morning when you wake up, you wake up with a whole new set of God's compassions, His loving kindnesses. And you just have to receive that and keep growing in that and keep learning, stay teachable, keep growing. That's the marks of maturity. So here's our foundation. We're committed to 
maturity. We're committed to your growth. And that's visible in every phase of this church's ministries. We have, we have ministries uh, based up on uh, groups and life stages. We have life groups to help you grow. We have small groups to help you grow. We have discipleship groups that are based around. We train in discipleship skills. We tra- train in discipleship traits. We do parenting and family studies and book studies. And we do a thing called SHAPE to help you understand uh, who, who you are and how God made you so you can know what God wants you to do. We do care groups like divorce care and grief share and those kinds of things. It's all there. It's all available but you have to take advantage of it if you're going to grow. I mean, some of it's on us. For too long, we've been frog parents. And we give birth, and then we go, hey, good luck out there. I hope you make it. But some of it's on you and me because we have to take advantage of what is being offered so that we can continue to grow. Because here's what I've come to realize. Every church has a choice, and every individual has a choice. And here's your choice. You can either be like a bay, and you can be a mile wide and an inch deep. You can be 30 miles wide and 30 inches deep. But I've got to tell you, people like that aren't safe. Because you never really know where you are with them. Or you can be like the sea that has some breadth, it's wide, but it has some depth. It's deep. And that means that when the, when the things of life come at you, you have the maturity to deal with them. That's our calling. How are you doing in that? Let me ask you a couple of questions. How's your walk with the Lord? I mean, let's be honest. Are you, are you more grown up today than you were five years ago spiritually? Are you walking with God in a different way? Um, How are you doing personally helping other people mature? What's the fruit in your life? Are you fruitful? And what are you willing to do to help this church become all that it's committed to be when it comes to maturity? Because God wants us to mature. And we have not finished until we have presented every man complete in Christ, and every woman, and every boy, and every girl. You want to join me in that? Why don't we make a commitment today, okay? Let's just bow our heads, and let's get before the Lord, and here's our commitment. God, I'm going to grow. Would you just, hey, I'm just going to grow. God, I'm I'm going to be a learner. I'm going to be teachable, and I'm not going to quit growing. I'm not going to get stuck. Father, we want to grow. We want to be your people that demonstrate the nature of Jesus and effectively help people to discover who Jesus is in an authentic, transparent, and natural way. So help us to grow. Take the knowledge we've gained and give us insight. Take our focus off of ourselves and help us, Father, to be people who care more about the other person than we do about ourselves and make us fruitful. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done for us and what he's doing in us. 
and show us every day how to celebrate what you give us for that moment to continue to grow. And we thank you for your love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.